Father, you're such a good God. You're such an all-knowing God. You see us behind and now and, and in the future. And Lord, we take comfort in that. Lord, you've shown us our destiny. We take comfort in that. And Lord, we just ask today that uh, as we open your word again, another scripture, you'd open our hearts to see, Father, to learn, to understand more about you and more about how, how we should live. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been lots of vacations over the last two or three months for people. and So I, I thought about maybe we would look at a chapter out of one of the vacation books of the scriptures. Um, the, um, the, um, the Israelites were commanded to take uh, three vacations. Um, tended, they tended to uh, spend a lot more focused time on um, the Lord maybe than I'll say than I have during vacation. Uh, it always seems to be a little bit of a struggle to steal away in family vacations and concentrate on the Lord. But the Israelites came together for that purpose three times a year. Uh, one of them we know is Passover. One is uh, the Feast of Weeks and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we're going to look at a book that was read during the Feast of Weeks during what they call Shavuot. Um, this particular year it was in May, but... Um, it's, it's a celebration of that particular time. And so my question as I thought about this was, why in the world do they read the book of Ruth during the Feast of Weeks? You know, and so as the more I read about it and looked into it, um, there's lots of reasons given. Uh, I think things change as tradition comes down. Things get added to and added to. But... Um, the Torah and the story of Ruth are based on one Jewish value, and that's chesed, or loving kindness. And this is a story that we know so well that we understand and see this in this particular book. Um, and so it's an appropriate book to read to remind us of really why the Lord gave the Torah to his people. The second reason it's read is not necessarily because it's a love story, uh, although we like to think about it that way. It's, um, it's a story that um, basically if it was a love story, it would end a, that Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. But they're never mentioned after the baby's born. What's mentioned is the lineage of David. And that's the purpose of the book. So one of the reasons that uh, it's read during this time is because it's a, a remembrance and an honoring of David, which uh, tradition, I don't know um, if it is true, is that both he was born and died on Shavuot on the same day. And then the second reason, or third reason that I have down here that the book is read is because Ruth took place during the same amount of time, and we get that from the fact that it was um, at the barley, the beginning of the harvest of the barley seasons, uh, that's kind of the the end of and uh, the beginning of the celebration of the feast of weeks. And so, we're going to look at the first chapter only. Um, it's been fun studying this. Um, 
Actually, we taught y'all about this about 35 years ago. The elders each took a chapter each week and, and talked about this. But Thank you. This wasn't my chapter, but this is the one I've picked up for today. Um, but it touches a lot of areas of life, if you think about it. I mean, there's sadness, there's joy, uh, there's hardship and blessing, there's enslavement and redemption, devotion, loyalty, and of course, loving kindness. But really, what the book focuses on is the divine providence in the day-to-day affairs of ordinary people. Think about that. And how those details play out in God's story. Now, this is the story we've got in the Bible, but if you just think about that, there's divine providence in you and my life. And somehow or now, another, it plays out in God's story and our part in His big story. Whether it's ever written down for other people to see, it's the one we're living. Um, and so there's encouragement in this book if you take the time to really stop and meditate on it, which I'm a slow thinker, so it's really easy for me to do this. And I can get hung up on a phrase or a verse for weeks at a time. So, But your mission this morning, if you choose to accept it, is to we're going to read these scriptures as though we don't know the end of the story. Okay? Now, it might be a challenge for some of you. Oh, well, yeah, I know, and later on... No, we've got to read it by what we hear. Okay? So, we know this We know this story so well. I'm just going to read it in parts, and then we're going to, t- we're going to talk about it. But don't interrupt me too much, um, or we won't get through this. So, the first starting in Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read out of New American Standard. And it's, it goes like this. So, get yourself in the story. Okay? Now it came about in the days of the judges that there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So, when was it? Where are we? We're in the time of the time of the judges. <laughs> we'll get there. Yes. <laughs> so, 
So it occurs in the time of the judges. And so what do we know about that time? We know it was a period of instability, a time of moral decline in ancient Israel. It was characterized by cycles. The people turned away from God and served other gods. The Lord disciplined those nations through hardship. Then the Lord's compassion brought someone who would provide an escape and rescue his people. You know, one thing I learned about reading about the times of the judges, did you know that the times of the judges lasted 300 to 350 years? It's about 25% of the entire history of the Old Testament of the Israelites. You know, you just kind of whip through those chapters and think, okay, let's get on to the big, long part of the time. 25% of the time of the Israelites was during the Judges. About. And so, you know, we have these, um, we have these bean counters, these scholars that they've placed this at the time of Jair's Judgeship, which was after Gideon, but before Samson. So this is the time that we're talking about when this story was written. You know, I, 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 I never forget this, but the late Tim Keller, I remember him saying one time, nothing in the Bible is there for information. So, you know, if you want to pride yourself for being on the best trivia team on Bible quiz, um, that's not what it's there for. It's not just for information, but it's, just to give us understanding about who he is and how we're supposed to live. And so it's in that light we want to to read the Bible. And sometimes you have to be slow about it to get yourself where the people were and see their response and kind of what was going at the time. Um, So I want to... Now let's get to Bill's comment. What were the circumstances in this particular story? There was a, a famine. So it must have been a severe one if people would actually leave their country. Think about that. How bad would a famine have to be for you to leave Wake County and find somewhere where there was food? That'd be pretty bad. I mean, I just go about three miles down the road to Randy and Lisa's house because it's either canned or growing. So, <laughs> but so why does God allow scarcity? Why does He allow famine? Why does He allow hunger for His people and in His people? Something like if we think about it today, something that brings a lack of provision. Whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's companionship, whether it's communion with himself. The lack of something. Why does he allow that? You know, there are lots of reasons that a, that a, that a creative God can orchestrate for, for that. Remembering that he's always a good God. That's the thing that sometimes is really hard to hold on to in the wise of where we find our places. But... Moses gives us some possible reasons for the famine that, that the, the Israelites went through at that particular time. And so one of the reasons that 
there's a famine is to humble you. You know, are you, were they too confident in themselves, what they were doing, the, the provisions that they had? So maybe it's to humble you. Maybe it's to test us. Why would God want to test us? Well, Moses says it's so we would, we would know what's in our heart. He knows what's in our heart. <laughs> and so we would know what's in our ha- heart. And another reason is to make us, what was it back then? It was to make them understand that man does not live on bread alone. But how about today for you and me? Man does not live on whatever you're clinging to and hoping for more than him. He wants us to see that sometimes. It was interesting um, as you read through this and, and look at the names, the meanings of the names of the people because Elimelech means God or king and apparently he was a wealthy, wealthy family. Naomi, his wife, her name means pleasant. Why those two people would have the sons and name them what they did, I don't know. Malan means unhealthy and Chilean means puny. So, come here, puny. I don't know. And a lot of times you, you wonder if these are meanings that are given after after the fact, but that's the names they're saddled with for the rest of history as far as I know. But they left Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And Bethlehem is in Judah, which means praise. So where did they go? They went to Moab. Of all places, Moab. Well, it was close, you know. It'd be like going to Johnson County or something like that. It was just south southeast of of um, Bethlehem and Judah. And so that's where they went. They went there to sojourn. Well, what does sojourn mean? Are we sojourners? We're sojourners because we're we're going somewhere else. They're, you're traveling through. But in the next sentence, it says, and they remain there. In other words, you know what? It's not all that bad here. I think we'll just live here. And they did for at least 10 plus years. Um, so... Moab, though, there's other nations around. So, I thought about that. You're moving out of the promised land. You're moving from the promised land to Moab. And so, the attitude of the Israelites to the Moabites, I've got a list of five things here in the the history between these nations. First of all, the Moabites had a really questionable origin. They're descended from the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And that just did not sit well with the Israelites at all. They resisted Israel passing through when they were del- when Israel was del- delivered from Egypt, the Moabite king would not let them pass through their country. 
they had to go a whole different way. Even though Moses said, look, we won't, we won't eat your food. We won't get your grass. We'll stay on the roads. He would not let them through. So that seemed to be one of those things that um, they just held on to because of history there. Um, and then, they, then the, the, the women, the Moabite women, seduced the Israelite men right before they were supposed to go in under the second try into the promised land under Joshua. This was a this was the little tidbit that Balaam had given um, the the king. This is how you can get God angry at his people. You get your women to go in there and seduce them. And so that's what they did and God disciplined his people because of that. Later on it was a constitutional provision that a Moabite couldn't even come into an Israelite temple. Uh, this is how long these things stay in the minds of their people. And even recently during the judges, Eglon, the king of Moab, had oppressed the Israelites. Obviously God had used him to discipline their people, but you know, they didn't make any difference at that point. And the, Moab, the Moabites worshipped Chemosh. This was the God they worshipped, a God that, um, you know, child sacrifices were made to, as well as other gods. And so Elimelech and his family left to reside there, and um, he died sometime during the time there. This wealthy man takes his stuff, leaves his community, takes his stuff, goes over there, and he, then he dies. So Naomi's a widow for some amount of time. It's just not, just not a sentence. So she's a widow with two sons. Their sons decide, well, we need to marry, and we'll just marry Moabite women. After all this thing that's culturally between these two, they marry two Moabite women. Um, Orpah and Ruth. And... It's hard to tell from the scriptures whether they were married 10 years or not, or whether they were just in the country 10 years. At least I couldn't figure it out. Um, but they also died. So here is Naomi, has been a widow. Her sons marry outside, outside the culture, and then her sons die. Think about being in this situation you know, it just doesn't move on. And as soon as, as soon as everybody, all, all the guys were dead, they all said, "Well, let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back to back home for for Naomi." We don't know how long it was. So she's walking in this place without her husband. Now she's left with two daughter-in-laws, two Moabite daughter-in-laws. So what's it like to, to be in a situation like that? You've faced something that's hard, overwhelming really. What are we going to eat? And so you decide, well, we'll go somewhere where we know there's food. And here they are, all the men are dead, and there's three women left alone. <laughs> Let's continue, verse 6. 
Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the land of Moab, because she had heard the land in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find a place of rest, each of you in the house of your mother. Oop, I lost my place. Hang on a second. Here we go. May the Lord deal kindly with you. I'm going to read this again. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find a place of rest, each one in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they raised their voices and wept. However, they said to her, No, but we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I had hope, if I were even to have a husband tonight, and also give birth to sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is much more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. And they raised their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now Naomi had been a faithful wife. She'd followed her husband to Moab now she was alone and what to do she decided to return home her real home because there were reports of the Lord's provision of crops and her extended family was there supposedly wealthy Elimelech had probably found some kind of favor in Moab but he was gone and his sons were gone and there was this old lady with her two daughter-in-laws, all of them widows, all of them in a place of needing some kind of security. Probably a lot of the wealth was gone at this point. Uh, so what, what kind of future did she have staying there? Why should I stay in Moab? I'll go home. I might as well just go home. And so she thinks, the first place, home, is better than here. Even if I have to return the way I'm going to have to return. Um, so, you know, I got to thinking about that. And, and in, a, in a different sense, sometimes, is it not better to just take refuge in the Lord than to kind of try to find another way in a situation like that 
Maybe there's an easier way. Maybe there's a secular way. Maybe there's a way out of this that would be better. You know, trusting in the world over returning and trusting in God. Returning and trusting God is always seems to be a better bet to me. So here she is with two Moabite daughters-in-laws. And so she begins to go home with her, her daughters. At some point along the way, she turns and says, Look, you guys are going to be a lot better off just to go back. There's not a lot of future for you if you go with me. Um, you're Moabite women. You know how we Israelites feel about Moabites. Uh, I doubt any Israelite or Hebrew uh, man is really going to be wanting to marry you. So that's kind of how it is if you go. Why don't you just go back home? There's a lot better chance of you getting security in marriage if you go back to your own people. So they said, no, no, we don't want to do that. But then they thought about it. And Orpah decides, well, maybe it'd be better if I did that. But Ruth says, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going with you. Um, it's it interesting. One thing I read about the, the, in, the, in the Jewish commentary about this is like the, the, the rabbis looked at it this way. Orpah is the one that kissed and Ruth is the one that clung. And so that's how they characterized those two, two ladies where they were. But they, they all cried together. And there's probably lots of reasons that they cried. One was their circumstances, and one was the separation that took place. You know, it's really easy to make, um, <laughs> to say, to compare Orpah to Ruth because um, we don't really know what Orpah's rest of her story is. We don't know. Maybe she decided later on, wow, I think I'm going to go join you know, my sister-in-law. Um, we don't know. But one thing we do know, Ruth is in God's story. She's in his story. So, this is where they're at. They separate. Let's continue on in verse 15. 16. Then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not plead with me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Your people, sorry. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking about it. So they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. You know, 
Ortha kissed and said goodbye. Do you think she was really relieved or do you think she was torn? She was probably torn in, in, in some ways. Again, this is all conjecture. This is what's interesting about stopping in these stories. You, you kind of know that human nature, by and large, hasn't really changed a lot over the centuries. It's the same old heart. We got the same heart they had back then. And so some of the things that we can think about are probably close to right. But God doesn't give a lot of minutia in this story. But I think we can glean things if we stop and think about every step of the way what it was like and what those people faced and what their responses were in these particular times. I imagine that Ruth and Orpah had probably gotten kind of close. Both their husbands had passed away. I mean, who else is going to comfort them but one another and Naomi? You know, So the separation for Ruth was probably kind of challenging, I think. Um, but despite that, these are those famous words that Ruth spoke that we see all over the place. Sometimes we see them in marriage ceremonies, but they're, they're very, very familiar words for everyone. Um, but she clung to, to Naomi, even as they had walked, and, and Naomi had probably begun to tell them about, this is what our culture is like. You know, back in Israel, you know, you've got to stay a part of the family. Your responsibility is to wait to be a widow and wait so somebody in the family can purchase the, buy back our land and redeem the name of your husband and, ex, and perpetuate the name of your husband. And so this is where she finds herself and Ruth decides, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go with you. Despite all that, what's interesting to me is like with such a great display of loyalty and love, Naomi still sees herself in this really, really hard place. You ever felt like the, the Lord just was not present, actually even against you? It's hard for us to do that because we, we're on this side of the cross. But back there, I think it was an easy concept for a person to embrace their God is against me. My God is against me. That's a frightful thing to think about. Um, so it's interesting that even, even Ruth's love and loyalty didn't seem to move that very far. Um, so Ruth is aware of what it's going to cost her. But Ruth obviously believes it must be better. She grew up in Moab. She saw the child sacrifices. She saw how the families lived. She saw that the seduction and stuff still went on there. Uh, and it must have not been very fulfilling for her. I'm going to go and be under this God that I've heard, I've heard stories about. I've heard stories about how faithful and powerful this God is I'm going to cling to you Naomi I'm going to go I'm going to go and find out for myself um, you know uh, in Micah it says this it says um, it said God delights in unchanging love when he sees that it delights his heart um, 
you know, and I, I know years later, um, these words were spoken by a prophet to King Asa. It says this, the for, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, strongly looking for someone he may support whose heart is fully his. And I think he began to glimmer this in this little girl, young lady. There's one. There's one whose heart is fully for me. And in 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 the Bible says he will strongly support that. So you know, I looked at this thing and I thought about it, even before I knew your situation, Lisa and Randy is. Um, Ruth was in a difficult situation. Naomi was in a difficult situation. But she gave herself, even in that hard place, she gave herself to the person that that needed her right then. You know? Some of you may be in situations where you're in a difficult situation, but there's a family member or somebody you love that's in a hard situation. How, what does it take to give out of a place like that to the other person. I think that's a real call that we all need to to learn to walk in. Um, Verse 19, So they went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Myra, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with her with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Ten years, more than ten years probably. So this lady comes in, probably not standing as tall as she was when she went out. Um, And the people were, she kind of looks like Naomi, but who's that? Who's that foreigner with her? And where's the rest of the family? You know, they find out it is her. And she has this whole change of who she is. She's gone from pleasant Naomi to Mara, which means bitter. And I began thinking about that. I'll ask you that question. You guys can ponder this over the afternoon. Was she bitter at her circumstances, are bitter at the Lord, or some of or some of both. Call me bitter. The sense that her circumstances had changed, and they're, they're they're saying, "You mean her sons married Moabites?" Think about as people find out what happened and what's going on the talk of the town um, 
she escaped the famine, but she came home even worse off. So, the prodigal family returned, minus three. Um, but she did come home. She did come home. Well, so what hope did she have when she came home? So Ruth's still very aware of now she is a foreigner in this land. But she believes still in her future that it's better. And it's interesting to me, you have basically the same circumstances, but you have faith fainting for one, you can guess who that is, and faith rising for the other. Um, so, what can you? What can we get from this? How can we learn to live in our in our life today? What's What's our present circumstances? What about your future that you cannot see? You know, is it is this a pleasant time or a bitter time? Does the future hold pleasant times or bitter times? What can we learn from their different responses as they walked through this? Um, you know, Ruth had heard these stories. She was committed to go, let me go and see. Let me go and see what this God is like. And that was, that was enough for her. So, but their life was not over. Now we're going to now I know I can, I'm going to look forward just a little bit. Their life, their life was not over. Ruth, the name, Ruth's name actually did not have any real meaning until she walked through her life. From, from, the, from the things I've read, just didn't, didn't mean anything. But So she went from a name that didn't mean anything to a name that means loving kindness. That's what her name means. And Naomi went from a name, Mara, bitter, to, in the end of the story, she was pleasant again, right? So, we can learn things from the days of the judges. You know, or can you guys think of a time that might be similar to that? Um, you know, where there's moral decline... God is really not a part of the picture anymore. And unless God does something, rescues, revival or something, do you guys ever thought of a time in our history that's like that? You guys are catching on here from the times of the judges. You know, we can learn from that, right? We got to stay the course. We've got to remain faithful, you know, what can we learn from Elimelech's decisions? That he, his response to, to difficult times, to overwhelming times. Well, there's got to be an easier place and an easier way. There's got to be some way out there other than trusting God. Now, I'm not saying we don't use doctors, but God uses doctors' hands. God, God uses doctors' minds. God is the one that's given us the knowledge that we have in medicines and everything else, right? So, but the ultimate 
you're looking past that, just as Lisa said earlier. You're looking to the Father to, to carry you through, to deliver you, whatever it is. So the best thing to do is stay under the wing and take refuge under the wings of God. And there's another thing that we can remember on this side of the cross because of Jesus. Is he the author and finisher of our faith? No. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And perfecting is a process, isn't it? It's a process. And we have to walk through that process. What are you doing now, God? Why are we going through this? Um, is my faith going to be steadfast in times of success? Is my faith going to be steadfast in times of difficulty? It's perfected either way. Sometimes the success side is more dangerous because we tend, to, <laughs> we tend not to, to draw in as much as we ought to. Um, but he's working. He's working in our lives. Now, I, I told Bill, you know, um, there's a song that I wanted to, maybe him to sing or, you know, because I want us to have a time of prayer. And, you know, he's changing our name, but it's one room at a time. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I've still got rooms that he hasn't gone in yet. You know, and that song is, um, those rooms, there are rooms in our hearts, unless you have learned and have arrived there. There are rooms in our hearts that are still called wounded, outcast, lonely, and afraid. You know, I've got rooms like that still. There are places I won't believe he loves me through those things. He loves me. Perfect love casts out fear. Okay? Perfect love casts out loneliness. You know? But he says he, it was for freedom that he set us free. And through Jesus, those rooms can be renamed. But he only comes and stands at the, the door and knocks for those particular things. But he wants to change them. He wants to change them. And he wants to change them to confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God. Every room that seeks his face. You're not afraid for him to come into that room. We all... You know, it's hard to be transparent in a place like this, but we all can be transparent before God. But if if we can't be transparent before Him alone, how much harder sometimes is it here? But it may be right here as we pray for one another that He walks in and brings peace, brings deliverance, brings that freedom that we all want from that particular place. Why? It's not just for us. It's for His glory. It will be 
and a witness, a testimony for somebody um, if we can walk in those particular places. And that's how he causes all things to work for good if we respond, if we don't run away like Ellie Melick did. There's, there's got to be an easier way. The easiest thing to do is to keep the door shut, even from you, God. So there's so much in this book, and I've only looked at one chapter for four weeks. So I want to just have an opportunity for us to gather around and pray for one another. If you have something that you want to share, share it with people. Believing God can can minister to you through somebody that's in just desperate it's just as desperate place as you are. Okay? So if you'd like to gather with somebody, if you'd like to share with somebody, find a find a, a person that you feel comfortable to do with or that you feel led to do with. And let's let's just allow God to minister to us uh, for a little bit here. Um And begin to understand Him and how to live in that particular room. There's a way to live there. So Father, we just, we just first of all open ourselves to You. Lord, we, uh, Lord we've already sung that we, we long for You. We long for You in every room. Lord, we long for You. And so I pray, Father, as we, as we, as we avail ourselves of this time, every moment, even as Bill read out of a, a book at prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago, every moment is holy. Every moment is set apart for you as we respond. And so I just really ask, Lord, that you'd be faithful to meet your children, your sons and your daughters right now as we as we. As we, as we have courage, Father, to minister to one another in the power of your Spirit, we bless you. We thank you. We thank you that you are perfecting our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.